0: Hello, I'm Phil Farrow, Chief Meteorologist at WSBN-TV in South Florida, and this is Weather or Not. In this episode, we look forward and backwards. We'll take a look at a revolutionary new tool to help us better prepare for hurricanes.
1: A Weather or Not exclusive, sail drones deploying five uncrewed system vehicles three from the Virgin Islands, and two right here close to home.
0: Meteorologist Vivian Gonzalez brings us the story of sail drones. And the city of Miami is celebrating big this week.
2: So, travel had a tremendous impact on bringing people here to create this, 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 uh, this city that we now live in.
0: Meteorologist Brent Cameron brings us a little history along with birthday wishes. That's all next on Weather or Not.
1: The best app
0: from the best weather team is right here, Seven's Hurricane Tracker app.
1: Get the latest forecast models.
0: My Seven weather blog. And of course, Seven's cone on your phone.
1: It's yours free from the Storm Station Seven News.
0: Welcome back! Hurricane intensity forecasting is one of the most difficult aspects of projecting how strong a system may be in the days ahead. There are so many variables. And of course, Mother Nature is constantly changing. But now, cutting-edge technology is stepping in, and you have a front row seat. Here's meteorologist, Fabian Gonzalez.
1: Scientists are hard at work to keep us safe as another busy hurricane season is underway. And their newest tool, the world's first ocean drone, storm chasers that intercept hurricanes barreling towards Florida. And this summer, SailDrone, in partnership with NOAA, adding new to their arsenal of tools, deploying five uncrewed system vehicles to sail deep into the eye of the storm on an effort to gather life-saving information. And to learn more about this, we now have the opportunity to bring in Andy Zigwi, Vice President of Ocean Data at SailDrone, Inc. Thank you so much for joining our Weather or Not podcast.
2: Thank
3: you. Thank you for having me.
1: So this is exciting news that a new high-tech tool is going to be providing such valuable information. Can you tell us what is a sail drone?
2: A sail
3: drone is a wind and solar-powered autonomous ocean vehicle designed to collect ocean data on long-duration missions in the open ocean.
1: And how do they work?
3: Cell drones are designed similar to any sailboat. They have a hull, a keel, and a rigid wing sail. They sail autonomously according to set waypoints and are supervised by our mission control at Cell Drone.
1: Okay. And just would you be able to give me an idea of how big are these drones?
3: Certainly. There are three classes of Cell drones uh, the 23 foot Cell Drone Explorer. Uh, is primarily used for oceanography and fisheries research. These are the the versions that will be launched uh, for this year's hurricane season. We had just released or announced um, the 72 foot sail drone surveyor, which is optimized for deep water ocean mapping missions and it'll be uh, launching next week uh, for its uh, maiden voyage uh, to Hawaii. And later this summer, we'll be introducing the 30-foot Voyager, uh, which is optimized for maritime domain awareness and uh, coastal ocean mapping missions.
1: So as they depart from the U.S. Virgin Islands very soon this summer, what data will be collected from the sail drones?
3: During the 2021 hurricane mission, the sail drones will collect wind speed and direction, air, sea, and surface skin temperature, relative humidity, radiation, ocean current speed and direction, barometric pressure, and fluorescence. The goal is to understand the fine-scale exchanges of heat between the seawater and the atmosphere, which can lead to the rapidly increasing strength of a storm.
1: Now, can anyone access this data?
3: Yes, uh, the data will be provided to NOAA, so it will it will ultimately be in the public domain. Okay. Okay. Um, and it will be combined with data from uh, other ocean-going assets, gliders, and aircraft.
1: And where is this data going into?
3: So all of the data that is collected, uh, the high-resolution data collected, um, is downsampled minutely or hourly and is sent in near real time and is available to the mission collaborator. The high-resolution data is is available when the vehicles return to port.
1: Okay, so we know that intensity forecasting is one of the most difficult sciences, and in recent years, understanding the process behind rapid intensification has been really challenging in putting forecasts together. So, how is this data going to help the National Hurricane Center help us?
3: So we're we're placing these with the, the help of uh, NOAA AOML and PMEL. We're uh, placing them as statistically high regions of hurricane tracks uh, and coordinating with other observing assets. We'll combine the best available forecast tracks of the hurricanes uh, and put these vehicles on an intercept course uh, to see um, how, how they do and, and uh, what nature deals us. Um, okay, so collecting real time in situ data about heat transfer between the ocean and atmosphere will help the National Weather Service to improve hurricane forecasting. Having a better understanding of which storms are likely to become severe hurricanes before or as they hit coastal communities will give communities more time to prepare and people more time to evacuate before the storm hits, saving lives and mitigating economic impact.
1: Now, going into the eye of a hurricane is an extremely dangerous and challenging task, and one that really hasn't been done before. What does this mission expect to create?
3: You're right. Uh, No one has sailed an autonomous vehicle or a manned vehicle for that matter, into a hurricane before. Uh, This is an incredibly complex engineering challenge. Uh, So while first and foremost, this mission is is about the science, it is also a test of the vehicle's design and ability. Uh, Sail drones have successfully deployed in the roughest marine environments on the planet from the Arctic sea and the Gulf Stream. To the first autonomous circumnavigation of Antarctica, but no one has intentionally sailed into the eye of a hurricane. This mission will give us new insights into ocean conditions inside of a hurricane and will serve as a roadmap for future deployments in the Pacific and around the world to monitor extreme weather events.
1: I'm really excited for the future of uh, hurricane forecasting because more tools are being implemented this year. So aside from the sail drones, we also have gliders and and other drones that are going to be flying, I believe, in at the lower level. So I'm super psyched about all of this. Yeah,
3: Me, me too. And and I should point out that, that there's five total cell drones that will be launched. Uh, three of them will be launching from the U.S. Virgin Islands. Uh, two of them will be launching from Florida. So we should keep you uh, informed as to where that launch date and location uh, will be.
1: That would be amazing. We would love to cover that. All right. Okay. So you heard it from Andy. Expanding the fleet of sail drones will help map out a better picture. And we know that the exchange of heat between the ocean and the atmosphere is one of the key processes in fueling these tropical engines, because that's how we like to call them. And thanks to sail drones, we'll have more information to improve hurricane intensity forecasts and models so that will better understand how strong and how quickly these hurricanes can grow. So that will definitely help local officials down the road make decisions about evacuations a lot sooner and ultimately saving lives and property, which is the goal. So thank you so much for this information, Andy. Thank you,
3: thank you. I'm glad glad to uh, talk with you today.
1: For the Weather or Not podcast, I'm meteorologist Vivian Gonzalez.
0: Thanks, Vivian. Whether or not, we'll be right back. A record storm season during a pandemic made 2020 unforgettable. This year, count on the Seven weather team once again to do what we do best, keep you safe. The latest alerts, the best coverage. That's why we're the Storm Station, Seven News. The city of Miami is celebrating a birthday this week. You may not know this, but weather played a part in creating the magic city. Meteorologist Brent Cameron takes a look back and has the story.
4: All right, welcome everyone and happy birthday, Miami. The city's official date of birth, July the 28th, 1896. I'm Brent Cameron, joined today by Dr. Marvin Dunn, author and educator, and well-known historian, Dr. Dunn, would you like to say hello and also tell us about how you feel about being one of the honorees during the big celebration of Miami this year?
2: It's a great honor to be recognized by the city. I'm very proud of that fact, and I hope that I'm that I'm worthy of the recognition. The city, you know, has made it through the first 125 years. It has not been an easy, easy journey for us as a community. We have much changed from we, the way we were in 1896. But the city of Miami has a bright future ahead. The next 125 years are going to be great.
4: Now, it's really mind-boggling to think that this was just wilderness 125 years ago. And to see the vibrant city that it is now, to you, how incredible is that?
2: Well, now, there were people living here. It wasn't exactly uh, a wasteland. We we had had uh, civilizations here before. But uh, what is incredible about it is how fast it happened. Uh, once the decision was made to bring in the railroad, what had been a very sleepy hamlet here on the on the Miami River all of a sudden, within less than five years, became a bustling major city. That's that's railroad money. That's the impact of, of the railroad magnets at that time. Right. That's the kind of thing that Flagler could do. He could make a city come out of nothing.
4: So, as we start there at the beginning, are you are you saying that Henry Flagler basically was the birth of the, the city itself, or would you actually trace it back to Julia Tuttle?
2: No, Henry Flagler was, was, was responsible for the, for the birth of Florida. His money built Florida. That railroad really made Florida an economic uh, uh, a giant because we could, of course, take uh, bring tourists in and out and also become the winter vegetable garden for the, for the nation. So it was the railroad that really led to the, to the, to the bustling of the city and of the state itself. And as far as the, uh, the, the population, it was the railroad that brought in most of the black folks. I would say more than most of the people that came in with the railroad were workers who helped do the physical labor to put the railroad in and build the hotels and what have you. So Franklin had a tremendous impact on bringing people here to create this, 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 uh, this city that we now live in. As far as Julia Tuttle, just to mention her for a moment, yeah, she is recognized as the mother of Miami for good reason. You know, she made available uh, a considerable amount of her land for the city. But Mary Brickle is also as important as Julia Tuttle was. Really? She was also talking to, to Flagler. So if, if Tuttle is the mother of Miami, Mary Brickle, who was there many years before Jew, Julia Tuttle got here, well, she's the grandmother of Miami.
4: <laughs> and then uh, to kind of throw in another topic, of course, now you mentioned the railroad. The railroad was extended, as I understand, from Palm Beach to Miami. And that was because at that time, The rest of Florida in that uh, terrible winter preceding uh, 1896, the winter before that was so rough Mm -hmm. with hard freezes, except for down in the Miami area. So weather is kind of another reason that we had the birth of this city, too, right?
2: Oh, absolutely. Uh, That event was called the Great Freeze. The temperature in, in, in Jacksonville was 14 degrees for four days. Wow. And everything froze all the way down to Lake Worth. So it, it was very, very bad. And as, uh, as, the, as the state recovered, they realized that uh, it, there was a risk in growing vegetables in north and central Florida. And so we had the shift down mm-hmm. to, to Miami, to this part of the state. And here comes Homestead, Goose, Perrine, all those communities uh, exploded because the railroad came in and, and farming became possible in far south day Dade County and in the city of Miami, for that matter, in the early years.
4: So going back to 1896, big, big, huge year. The train arrived, as I understand, early in the year, around April. And then not long ago after that, now just the next month, the first newspaper, I believe it was called The Metropolis, was published, that was in May. And then July the 28th, which is what the date we're celebrating now is the city's birth. What happened Mm -hmm. on July the 28th?
2: Well, the Flagler organization decided that it was time to have the city here. So uh, they ordered John Sewell, who was the man in charge of the flag operations here to gather, uh, to count how many folks lived on the bay at that time to see if they met, if the, if the area met the minimum state requirement to be a city. And there were, if you count the black men. Of course, women at that time did not have the vote, so only male voters counted. Uh, but the uh, railroad said it's time to have a city, and uh, they gathered up everybody who's male and able to and uh, register to vote, which the black men were. If they weren't, they were made to, to appear, uh, to register and vote and, and show up. So uh, the minimum number was met, I think there were around 368 men present the day the city was incorporated, and 162 of those were Black men. Again, ordered by the railroad to show up. Once they voted uh, for the railroad uh, for the uh, city, uh, then they were disenfranchised for another almost 60 years. And mm-hmm. at that
4: time, during that meeting, was it debated what to call the city? Was it possible at one time the... Uh- thought about considering uh, calling it Flagler?
2: Flagler City, that's correct. The white people split down the middle on that question. Some of the old timers have been around for a while, the Tuttles, the Bickles, and folks like that wanted the name to be Miami. Uh, But the Flagler folks, most of those wanted the name to be Flagler City. Now, we're not sure that Flagler himself wanted that, but apparently some of his people here at the time wanted it. And the the tie was broken by the Black vote. The Black men voted overwhelmingly for the name Miami. Otherwise, we would all be living in Flagler City today.
4: So interesting. And I believe Miami, the name came, uh, actually means
2: Sweetwater. Is that right? That is correct. It's an Indian word meaning Sweetwater. The name they gave the Miami River when at one time it was Sweetwater.
4: Okay. Dr. Dunn, before this year was over, this important year of 1896, can you tell us what happened at the very end of the year around Christmas time? And it was tragic,
2: right? Oh, that was a great fire downtown burned down. Uh, At that time, uh, the buildings were made of wood. The city rebuilt itself in brick and therefore had a greater protection against fire, but that was not done in Colortown, what we now call Overtown. Uh, Those homes and businesses were were, were wooden and they got wiped out and they were not rebuilt in brick. So uh, yeah, the, the fire devastated the city. The city rebuilt itself but most of that damage took place in the in the uh, Colortown area, where the buildings were more vulnerable. They're very very closely to packed together, uh, very dense population. So the fire spread very quickly in that part of the community.
4: There's no doubt about it. The city has had its shares of highs and lows over 125 years. What stands yeah. out to you as maybe one of the most proud moments, or something you would consider uh, that Miami should be very proud of?
2: Well, you know, of course, we've had a couple of successes with our teams, the Dolphin and the and the Miami Heat. We've all we, we come together during those times. But I was here when Hurricane Andrew came through and almost wiped out a good part of, of South Dade County. I never saw people helping each other more before or after that. That tragedy brought Miamians together, Dade Countings together in a way that had not happened since the 1926 hurricane. Wow. So I'm very proud of what we did as a community to help each other out of that, out of that tragic 1992 mm-hmm. hurricane.
4: Dr. Dunn, what would you like the citizens of Miami and really all of South Florida to come away with as we celebrate this
2: big milestone birthday? I'd like us to agree as we move towards, towards the next 125 years, uh, to agree to live together in peace, to work together, to recognize each other's hurts and each other's pain. Uh, legitimate on, 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 on all sides in our community. We're a community of folks who have gone through a number of, of tragedies, Cubans, African-Americans, Haitians, and, until we, uh, and, 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 and white people as well, having the sense that they've been displaced in their city. So as we go forward, we need to recognize that we've all paid a price and we've all gained. And uh, this city for the next 125 years has a bright future if we recognize each other's strengths and each other's contributions to our community.
4: Very nicely put. Well, I thank you very much. Our guest today, Dr. Marvin Dunn. Dr. Dunn, congratulations to you and uh, congratulations for your honor as we celebrate the city's 125th birthday.
2: Thank you so much. My pleasure.
0: Thanks, Brent. Next week on Whether or Not, a satellite set to go in space but not made out of any metal alloy?
1: A satellite made out of wood is going to space. I sat down with the chief engineer of the WISA Woodset, set, Samuel Newman, to learn all about this non-conventional satellite.
0: Meteorologist Jessica Fernandez with that story. Plus, would you believe we are in an ice age?
1: We know that in the past 40 million years or so, we're in what we geologists think of as an ice age. But within that ice age time period, there are major fluctuations in climate, right? Big climate changes. And uh, those are a result of several different things. But the main thing is the shape of Earth's orbit around the sun.
0: I'll have that story next week. If you have a question that we can answer on an upcoming podcast or have a comment, please send me an email at pferro@wsvn.com. at wsvn.com. Also, it would be really nice if you would subscribe to our podcast. You can always follow us on Twitter and Facebook at 7Weather, and of course, live on air at WSBN7. Thanks for joining us. Please tell your friends about us. We need all the listeners we can get. The next issue of Weather or Not drops August 3rd. Until next time, I am Chief Meteorologist Phil Farrow.